Central High has a, a tradition of excellence dating back to 1859. Let's continue that excellence here. I am your host, Ben Beckman. Welcome back to the Chatting at the Sea. I am, of course, joined by Mr. John Flanagan. Flanagan, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Well, great. It's good to be together. Well, first, we have to give a little shout out to our corporate sponsor, the Central High Foundation. Foundation is very happy for all those people who have participated in Rock the Nest. Trivia things, did you get invited? No, I don't think I did. I, I received an invitation. No one recruited me for a team this year. Yeah, which that's is unusual. But well, maybe, maybe they do with the, the baby, baby and everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta hold off on that. Right. Well, they appreciate everybody showing up to that event. Um, if you want to become a Generation C member, feel free to contact Josh at the Central High Foundation. You can make a recurring membership where you're donating things, much like a Netflix subscription, twenty bucks a month, ten thousand dollars a month, whatever you prefer. They'll make that work. So reach out to the foundation to get that. All right, so let's dive into our episode, Mr. Flanagan. Let's start with our first great question. What makes Central so special? That is a huge question. It's hard It's hard to answer. I've been listening to the tier series here. Yeah. yeah. A lot of good stuff. Uh, kind of a weird, I was thinking about that this whole time. Um, and I think it might sound strange, but uh, the building itself, I think, has a lot to do with what makes this place so special. So when I was doing my master's work, uh, one of the rabbit holes I went down was this kind of area of rhetoric um, called like cognitive landscapes. Sometimes they're called dreamscapes. Yeah. It's basically the, the idea that um, there's, it's, it's uh, the rhetoric of a place, mm -hmm. right? And it's the idea that the entire physical environment of a place has conscious and subconscious impacts on a person. And our building, I mean, where this built first, you know, on the original side of the state house, mm -hmm. uh, right at the beginning of Nebraska as a state. Uh, we're up on this giant hill, kind of overlooking everything around us. We've got Jocelyn to the west, you know, this giant marble palace, uh, <laughs> a world-renowned art museum. We've got Creighton just to the north. Our campus just runs right into theirs. Uh, even as if you look to the east here, we've got, we're in the shadow of the uh, First National Tower now this giant financial institution in the state. It's just, we're surrounded by all these things. We're up on this hill. Uh, we've got this beautiful French revivalist renaissance uh, limestone building. Um, to even enter the building from most sides involves climbing up quite a few stairs. Yeah, I mean, it's a humbling experience just to enter this building every day, right? And then we're surrounded by all these landmarks for this area. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, I mean, whether you are aware of it or not, just again, to enter this building is humbling every day. You feel the weight of it. You feel the history of it. It feels like you're doing something important here, whether you're a teacher, a student, any staff member. Uh, and I just think on some level, everybody just, just tries a little harder, just cares a little more than they would um, in other places. Yeah, the light hits it on those certain days, and it's like, this is where I work. This is my day-to-day. -day. And even if we break down, then there's the... You can talk more architecture, the giant windows that let in so much natural light, the the yeah. hallways, the stab. I mean, you can you could break this down completely. I mean, it's, it's and again, it's not as crazy as it might sound because I, our alumni know this, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We had a very generous donor ship in all this limestone from the original quarry for the new addition, which is equally, you know, inspiring. Well, that's a great, it's a testament to the idea of like $22 million new addition. Right. They're willing to go the lengths. Oh, you can't just get any limestone. We got to go back to the quarry, back to Indiana to get this, to, to yeah, get it. I mean, that, the attention super, to detail. It's not a superficial thing. It's an inspiring place physically. And 
I think that's reflected every day for everybody who enters it. So Well, perfect. Well, speaking of inspiring, you, of course, are inspiring, but you, of course, are the department head. This is your first year as the English department head. Uh, yeah. So what's it been like? What's it been like to make that jump? I know there was oh, greatness. Man. I mean, the English department is no joke here. It's no, a pretty that, serious crew. Speaking of weight, a heaviness entering that <laughs> office in 210 is like, wow, there's the history. And even in this little space here. Yeah, it's been... Uh... <laughs> It's been interesting. I love teaching. I've really only ever wanted to be a classroom teacher. So to make this leap into more of an administrative role. Of course, I still have I still have classes throughout the day, mm-hmm. which is important to me. I definitely always want to have classes. But uh, yeah, the more administrative role has been definitely a learning experience. A lot more screen time. <laughs> a lot more emails, a lot probably. More, a lot more yeah. paperwork. I guess the biggest difference when I think about it is uh, as a teacher... You know, you can kind of set, you have your schedule, you have your agenda, you know, you know, your learning goals, your objectives, what you want to accomplish in a day. Of course, there's a lot of wild cards that get thrown into the mix. You don't know what the kids are going to do day to day, who's going to have done homework, uh, who had a really bad night or day of last period, and they're going to take it out on your class now, you know, those behavior management issues. But you're still basically in control. It's your classroom. Those are your students. But now I sit down, I open my email <laughs> at any point in the day, and up, oh, surprise, here's a... Here's the thing to deal with right now. Yeah, I am. Or very quickly, it's going to push something else to the side. So, Well, and of course, sometimes then you have to take care of teachers who you get that email where they had that bad last period. They had that bad uh, last experience, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, teaching such an incredibly hard job. So to be in a support role for teachers now is <laughs> is also difficult, you know. That's, there's a lot to support there. Total whole nother element. Now, talk us through, as I started this this last question, the Central English Department is legendary, I mean, one of the best in the state. How are you keeping that greatness alive? How are you keeping that continuing? Well, one of the best in the state? The best, I'm in, sorry. In state, uh, could we, we might be able to go a little bigger. I, right. I mean, you said it, right, west of the Nile. <laughs> Man, yeah. Uh, I guess as a department head, you know, entering, and I, I taught, you know, this is my 14th year as part of the department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I start from a place of just trust trusting the teachers, their judgments, um, trusting those professionals to look at the students in front of them and determine how to best serve them and get them where they need to be. Yeah. Um, and then again, yeah, just support when they ask me for something. I do whatever I can to make that happen. Well, that trust and support is such a good thing because it's like, hey, I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm going to let you do your thing. And and I'm always here. It's, it's, a, it's a supportive trust I, I type thing. You're going to build them up and when they need you, they do. That's awesome. Yeah, they, yeah. Everybody has different strengths. We have a lot of amazing people in the department, mm-hmm. and I like to let people play to their own strengths too. And that that can inspire the kids. You know, if the teacher's passionate about something, it's a lot easier for the kids to get on board. Yeah, totally. Got people like Marcy Mahoney, who's a legendary teacher, uh, doing so many great speech things. You got Martha Omar bullying other teachers. I mean, you got everybody's got their own strengths. Had a little right? run in today, you know. It's a uh, <laughs> It's hard. It's hard sometimes Omar's out there, but you gotta watch out. Need that firm hand, you know? <laughs> All right, well, good stuff. Well, a big part of Central High, of course, is the style book that started so long ago, and this is a big piece of this. So take us through what is the, the style book, even though it was written nineteen twenty? Yeah, about then I think, published, yeah. So talk us through how that's still kind of a pivotal part of the English department. Yeah, it's huge. Um it's, it's iconic, of course, you know. It's still in every every English classroom here. Uh, written and published by Sarah Taylor originally. It's a really powerful tool to provide expedient feedback to students, right? You can imagine, I mean, right now we have a couple teachers. 
who have 200 English students on their load right now, which is too many, but yet those kids need the quality writing instruction that they, that they come to school for, right? Yeah. So the style book allows a teacher to sit down and grade 200 papers and give the kids solid descriptive feedback and a good reference for revision. Yeah, so... I mean, it's not the ideal where, you know, you would sit down with a person and really oh, totally dig in, dig in yeah. the writing, talk about revisions, explore all the possibilities. We do make time for that, but you can't do it for every kid every time. Like, I it's think literally myself, impossible. So my honors class kids are doing a lot of essays and things over history. And, and for me to go through and not, I'm not using the style book because I'm not in that club. We're working on that. We're going to bridge the gap between it. I'm working Mr. Wilson on that. We've got a, we've got a plan for that. There it is. I love that. It'd be so, especially like you said, the ideal world, you can sit down and have that conversation, talk them through, but to be able to do it quickly and to give good feedback is a huge thing because there's common things. I think of uh, sometimes we'll have, uh, capitalizing names of countries. Sometimes that's a thing that creeps in there. That's a common thing that, oh, right. this code, mm-hmm. 1.67 or whatever it is. And it, the kids internalize the rule, right? They're not just looking at a uh, correction you made. They actually have to find the rule, you know, copy the rule down, and then correct it themselves. Yeah. And that forces them to really engage with it and learn and hopefully internalize that so they're better, you know, the next time around. Oh, totally. That's great. Well, let's think it. We're, of course, in 2023, 100 years after the publishing of the style book. What are some... Updates. Obviously, you're trying to bridge the gap, but what are some things as we look in more in uh, the uh, 2000s? What's up? Well, we revived. The last revision was about eight years ago, I think. And that was just updating some examples just to make them, you know, language changes over time, syntax, issues of syntax change, uh, words come in and out of style or fashion. So we just updated a lot of most of the examples, actually. Um, did you put make, turnt? Is turnt now in there? Turnt, turnt has not yet made it. Uh, not, not maybe. Then maybe this next one. Uh, <laughs> we do have. We have had a number of students express concern over. Right now, the style book doesn't allow for um, there as a singular pronoun. Right, it's got to be his or her according to the style book, which obviously can exclude people who don't identify on that gender binary. Uh, in fact, Charlie Yale is an excellent student journalist. Did a pretty extensive study, a series of interviews of teachers and students. Yeah. Really researched the history. He now knows far more about Sarah Taylor and the publishing of the style book and its history than I do. Uh, he really dug in and uh, and wrote a, a pretty impressive op-ed um, in the register, arguing that in the next revision, we should allow for that, uh, that singular there. Um, and I believe MLA already does, too, the Modern Language Association Handbook, which is sort of like the main one you tend to use in... in English studies, literary studies, the humanities. Uh, so there's precedent for it. Um, and yeah, that's a thing uh, we'll, we'll try to get done in the next few years here, another revision. Totally. That, that, for example, is one change we would make to kind of reflect our evolving society. It's so funny you bring up Charlie Yale because I told him I was doing a show with you, literally third block, and I said, okay, Charlie, do you have any additions that I can ask Mr. Flanagan? He said, ask him what my grade is in X. <laughs> well, we don't we don't want <laughs> Say any, any, anything too good about you, Charlie. Uh, right, that's show, true. So we don't There's always room for improvement, Charlie, if you're listening. But yeah, to listeners, jump on the Register website, seek out that article. I think you'll be impressed. Uh, aside from his argument, there's a, just a wonderful history presented of the style book, too, if you're interested. So check it it's out. It's a, a pivotal, but kind of more than important than just the pillars that support the building. That's that, that structure that supports it, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my next question is a tough one. Who is the best teacher in the English department? Oh, man. I have to answer carefully here. Oh, man. I you kiss. have to, to ruin relationships Woo. or build relationships. Oh, man. This is that pivotal moment. There's just, there's so much excellence. Uh, my gut's telling me I should say Martha Omar. 
because you know I fear for my the life. Fear, <laughs> fear factor. Right. Oh man, I can't, I can't, I can't. There's, there's no way it can't. There's just too much You're greatness. Okay. That was there's a plug. too much greatness. That was a plug for Menton. Trying to mm. meant for you to pick Menton, of course, to be that sounds like her one. So talk about your relationship with uh, Tracy Menton. I know you guys yeah. are great colleagues. We, we talked about you on on her show as well. Of yeah, of you right. <laughs> ascending to greatness. Uh, I talk about your relationship with uh, her as a teacher. Yeah, I believe we started at Central at the same time back oh, really? in 2009. She, of course, was already a veteran teacher moving here from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, I student taught here and was hired on at semester, so I was brand new. Um, yeah, and I don't really remember like my first impression of her, but we gradually became friends. Uh, and I hit a point maybe like, uh, I don't know, first, second, third year where when I would run into a real barrier with my students, um, whether it was, you know, conveying, uh, a concept or managing behavior, she kind of just became my go-to person. I would just go describe what I was dealing with and she would always just produce these suggestions for me. They were just brilliant and amazing, and I would go, and it would just work like magic. And it's still a lot, a lot of the framework of who I am as a teacher comes directly from just just her kind of casual advice to me. So she's definitely a, mas- a master teacher. I appreciate her flexibility, her responsiveness to students. Uh, she's a meticulous planner, but she has no problems throwing those plans in the trash if she gets in front of her kids and realizes it's not clicking, it's not working, they need something else. Yeah. And not everybody, I mean, that's hard. That's... She she does it at a very high level there. Well, that's so, awesome. Yeah, an, an inspiring person. Yeah, it's great to be brought up by somebody like that too, just to get that guidance. Especially where mental and tell you what it is. They're not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, for you. that's true. She's going to tell you what it is and what she thinks, and <laughs> that's so take true. it or leave it. If you leave it, well, yeah. don't ask me again. <laughs> yep, and she's she's hard on herself too. I should say that because you know it's a two way street. So totally, she beats herself up a lot too, and you kind of point out like, yeah, but look at all this other stuff. Yeah, and she'll come around too and. But yeah, she's, yeah, just always, always pushing, pushing the kids, pushing herself. So it's a good person to be around. That's important. Let's take a quick commercial break to do our Eagle shout outs. Great uh, list here rolling for us. Let's first give a shout out to Central High teachers, Rafferty and legendary teacher Scott Wilson, who were selected for a one-week program in Saipan to learn more about the World War II battle and what happened there. So very exciting for them, a trip to Asia there coming up this summer. Our next one goes out to Central High Choir. A lot of the choir soloists got a one-on-one uh, master class with Omaha Opera. So very cool to see some of those soloists be able to work with some of the best singers here in the Metro. So great job, choir uh, students as well. And our last one goes a shout-out to the freshman mentors. The mentors got a master class as well for self-care and wellness. The freshman mentors, what they do is they're sophomores, juniors, and seniors who work with current freshmen to give them some support and give them some love and prepare them for what high school is about. So great to see those freshman mentors getting the skills and getting the opportunities to create even greater eagles. Let's get back to your episode with Mr. Flanagan. Well, we look at uh, 2023 in our world today. We have a lot of students who may say that reading and poetry aren't cool or whatever these kids say these days. Uh, so what do you say to students who don't have a love for, for reading and don't have a, a love for writing and things like that? Just got to tell them they're wrong. That, that reading, <laughs> Straight reading, to it. It slaps. It's fire. It's turnt. 
It's lit. I don't know. <laughs> That's five turns. I'm getting turns. like older. I'm getting further back as I go. Five turns you have uh, to add to the style book <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, Slaps needs to make it in there for sure. Uh, I, I Honestly, I think this is, I mean, COVID was, you know, kind of a nightmare for education in a lot of ways. But yeah. uh, maybe one positive thing I've I've noticed, at least anecdotally, is that it seems like students like reading a lot more, more willing to, le- or at least independently, maybe not what you're assigning them, but way more than I remember before, carry books around with them, will pop out a book and read it when you give them the opportunity, uh, like to talk to you about books they're reading. So I think COVID, being home for that time, kind of helped reading make a little bit of a comeback for this generation. Uh, yeah, poetry, I think, uh, too. <laughs> Universally hated early in my career, not by, by the kids. Uh, and I would always frame it. I love poetry. I love teaching poetry. I would frame it as I think most people are frustrated with poetry because they read it once. They they want it to be like a novel or like a newspaper article or something mm-hmm. where you read it once, you comprehend it, you can take something from it. But it's um, because of the economy of the word, because you're condensing so much meaning. You might condense a novel's worth of meaning into, you know, a single page yeah. of poetry because it's so concentrated you should expect to read it several times before it even starts to make sense, right? So I try to frame it as think of it more like a song where you wouldn't just listen to it once and think, oh, yeah, I've heard that song now. I know that song. I'm never going to hear that song again, right? Move on. Expect to engage with it over and over again and keep getting new things out of it. And that has seemed to make a big difference when I frame it that way. Kids are more willing to just take the time to read it multiple times Break it um, down and engage chunks, with it. Yeah. And they often find they like it. Uh, I'll also, and I think... Honestly, Instagram has helped poetry for this oh, generation too, because a lot of them follow these like these poets on Instagram. It's probably TikTok now. I don't know. I'm old, but uh, <laughs> they're more willing to engage with poetry. All of a sudden, kids are like read poetry before they get to me casually in their own life, and yeah, they they find it on on things like social media, like Instagram. Wow. So that's cool. That's a cool way to see that. Like, kind of, re- especially if you take somebody on Instagram, you don't know if this person's alive or dead or where they lived or who right. they were, and. If that's just posted behind a nice, pretty photo, I mean, it really can re, yeah, rebuild yeah. or re, have it reborn. Even. And I think they see people their own age doing, you know, captions that are like poetry or our poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I sponsor the, it's called All Rights Reserved now. It used to be Louder Than a Bomb. It's the poetry club here. Okay, yeah. And I'm just amazed at what these kids uh, come in and write, even on the spot sometimes, just week after week. And they perform it and it's, it blows me away, so... Crazy. That's great. That's great to see you're keeping those things alive and uh, keeping those things rolling. Well, let's talk about some really important things. You, of course, are a member of the band All Young Girls Are Machine Guns. With a band name like that, like, how much street cred do you get? Do you, like, yeah. walk in and, like, band <laughs> poster and it's like, this guy gets it. Like, he knows what's up. We better listen. Yeah, you would, uh, what I've got, feedback I've gotten. So, first of all, I'm only, I'm only a member, of course. I'm, I'm a mere side man. I'm just the trumpet player hey. in this amazing soul band. Hands to a finger. Right. Or, or well, fingers yeah. to a hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I came to the game kind of late. It had already existed as a vehicle uh, for years before I got to it. But I guess feedback I've received, often people expect like a punk or a metal band. So maybe some initial disappointment when we go into our like Memphis soul stuff. Uh, but I think we win them over more times than not. They'll come up and say, man, this is not what I was expecting, but... You guys are awesome. That yeah. kind of a thing. So, and you know, it's a it's a band name that's also a complete sentence and a metaphor. So that's pretty cool. I love it. See that poetry's coming back. There you go. Yeah, listen to it more than once to really understand <laughs> exactly. the band. You can't just show exactly. up. And the name Whoa. itself invites interpretation and debate. So, well, that's perfect. That's awesome. Well, teaching English, you're of course in that field, but 
you have to have a love of music to do that as well. Was music ever a calling for you um, beyond teaching English? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I started, when I started my undergrad to become an educator, I started with studying music. I was going to be a band teacher. That was the plan. So I did that for three years. Um, and it's incredibly exhausting to be to be a music major. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize um, just the amount. Like you're in a bunch of classes that are worth one credit hour. Mm-hmm. You're learning every instrument. You're learning to maybe, I, I was an instrumentalist, but now I have to learn to sing and to, to sing by reading music. Um, you know, you're, you're playing music you're not necessarily interested in. You're studying on, on an academic level, the history of it. It's, uh, it's pretty grueling. Of course, if you're in, like, marching band, <laughs> that's, you know, five or six days a week. All about it, yeah. Out in the sun for hours, right? Jeez. Uh, which I hate. I hate marching band, by the way. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we will not tell Sorry, Chio, Chio. Chio. <laughs> that one. Sorry, Chio. I love jazz band. That's where my heart was in high school and in college. So I finally, and I played in jazz band all throughout and, you know, mm-hmm. eventually in, in bar bands and stuff for fun. But I hit a point about three years in where I realized I was starting to dislike music and that I should just leave it as a thing I do as an amateur, meaning like for the love of it. Right. I wanted that to be a thing I had in my life that I loved. Uh, and I had several English professors who were kind of like, Hey, you should, (laughs) you're pretty good at this. You should come on over to the dark side here. And I had been helping many, uh, many other students, friends of mine in the dorms revise essays, write essays, revise essays, and realized I had kind of a knack for it. And it was fun for me. So after three years of uh, studying music visually, I switched over to English. So, yeah, music, I guess teaching's always been my calling, mm-hmm. but music was a big part of that too. Totally. Well, you think of jazz, jazz band compared to or playing jazz is so different. It's but it's that expression it really fits really well with English because it's yeah, expressing right. yourself. It's while you can play notes and you can follow the structure and things like a concert band, jazz band has. You're doing riffs, you're doing different things, adding yeah. that expression, that talent. So and it's communication too, right? You're part of a conversation, hopefully. Totally. Yeah, I, I like to think of uh, it. Prob- music is definitely my first love, though. Like, I definitely think of music as a purer form of expression than mm-hmm. than language, like spoken or written language. So, I feel like spoken or written language is always just chasing what music kind of does naturally. Yeah, but that's fun. That's fun too. So that's what it's all about. <laughs> well, a few years ago, of course, you played in the Maha Festival here in yeah. Omaha. Yeah. Take us through that experience on, on the big stage, side stage. Was yeah, it on stage uh, then we were on uh, we were on the side stage. Uh, yeah. yeah next year right 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 it was a back and forth thing but uh (laughs) yeah one of the best days of my life no doubt it was maha 2015 i just remember we you know we we drove the van up to the (laughs) up behind the park there we got to they moved the gates for us so we could drive in download our gear yeah no no we didn't we didn't need to vips we're we're artists so yeah they were catering to us right we had we pull up there's actual roadies who show up and uh, ask if they can carry some stuff for you, and you're like, what is this? Okay. Careful with that. And I remember we, one of the first things I noticed while we were kind of entering the backstage there in the morning was like, oh, there's just these piles of just these giant crates of gear, and they're all, like, labeled Modest Mouse, who, uh, like, blew my mind in high school, and I'm still a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, and just like, wow, this is Modest Mouse's gear. They're playing here later tonight. We're backstage at this thing. And uh, for so, so usually the local bands go kind of early in the day. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of sparse. For whatever reason, that year, I don't know what the deal was, but they put us at 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. Like way later than the locals usually go. And there were legitimately thousands and thousands of people there <laughs> watching us. So that was surreal. 
<laughs> you see a lot of students out in the crowd. Yeah. That, like, that's fun. You owe me, you owe me an essay still. Get <laughs> they're that yell, done. They're yelling stuff. I'm trying, I'm trying to work here, kids. Trying to work here. This side gig. Totally different thing. But, yeah, I remember, um, you know, hanging out backstage for a lot of the day. I sat on stage, kind of backstage, but while, while the Jayhawks played right before us. They, I'm a huge Jayhawks fan. They were a huge band for me in high school. I'd never seen them before. And I was sitting on, basically on their stage, listening to them through their own monitors. That was a trip we played right after us, always played, who has become one of my favorite bands. They're coming back actually this year, which is kind of cool. So yeah, just just a surreal day. We did watch, we stayed all day, all night, watched Modest Mouse at the end from backstage. Wow. Uh, Connor Oberst, our own local rock star, and his whole entourage rolled up, and they were back there. I think he knows uh, the guys in, in Modest Mouse too, but... So we're kind of <laughs> not on that level, but you know, like adjacent to still there, adjacent to that level. So yeah, just a totally surreal and amazing day for sure. Yeah, definitely a good inspiration for students in the future too. <laughs> keep practicing. Aspire keep practicing. To be kids. There, yeah, maybe get lucky and get that four thirty <laughs> slot. Well, let's talk about the second uh, best day of your life. You're of course a new dad. Yeah, that's probably the first. We'll, we'll right, slide that right, one in there. right. It was totally the I'm first. Not saying anything controversial here. So. <laughs> Your wife might be listening. My wife won't be. Your wife might be. The wedding, uh, my wedding is somewhere in there too, probably. Somewhere in there, you know, that they all get a little muddled. Why, why number? Why rank them? Just not yeah, necessary. Uh, it's all good Good days. So what's it been like? What's it been like to have have a, a daughter in your life? Yeah. That, that big change? You're not just a teacher and a musician. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of change kind of at once. The department head thing, and then she was born. Yeah. And it all kind of hit in mid-June <laughs> into July. I had to do department head stuff right away. I've got this tiny baby in one arm. I'm like on my laptop. Talking to Brent Larson on speakerphone, like, what do I, how do I do this? Uh, but yeah, I mean, just, yeah, hugely, hugely transformative, of course. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. She's different every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so much fun. She's so, she's so funny now. She's more and more expressive as time goes. She's about nine and a half months right now. Yeah. She's actually, I think, I mean, everyone probably thinks their kid is really cute and funny, but, uh, true. I think she's legitimately funny. Like, she has timing. She'll, she'll, she looks for audience reaction when she does something. There's a few weeks ago, I was trying to change her to put her to the bed. And she just, <laughs> my wife was in, in the nursery with me, but I was changing her. She just screamed in my face as loud as she possibly could. And then turned to look at my wife who was laughing. And she repeated that process like five or six times, just scream in my face, turn and get the laugh for mom <laughs> and just do it again, even louder, turn and get the laugh. So there's there's some timing there. So that's wow. been that's been a trip. I love it. I but love it. Yeah, Even just... it's been fun to see as the months go on the different nicknames that you. Oh yeah. I always love the posts of the hey six months. This is the new nickname. Yeah. Her name's Lucy. So there's a lot to work with there. It's yeah. a good time. A lot of things to work with. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, let's wrap it up with our uh, last question. What is your message to uh, Central students, families, alumni, and Central community? Wow, oh, man. That's such a wow. That's a such that's an a open, huge like audience, an a diverse audience. Like, who is this audience really? It's everybody. It's our entire community, right? Mm-hmm. Eagle Nation is huge. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. Well, I guess I just we've we've had a lot of change uh, at this institution. A lot to do with COVID. Uh, I mean, that was definitely a crisis. Like I mentioned earlier, for public education, that was a hard time. Uh, and it's been kind of slow going. I think getting back to what we would call normal. But I guess my message would just be that, you know, we're still here. We're still great. This institution is, is I think, as strong as it's ever been, uh, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, we've got this tradition of excellence. It's a real thing, uh, and it's it, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. We we are still excellent. 
Um, and just, I think they know that. I think, the, I think Eagle Nation knows that. They're so supportive. Yeah. The students are proud to be here. But I guess that's it. I mean, that's, that's the message. Well, very good. Trust and believe, I guess, to, uh, Trust and to believe. quote a great leader. <laughs> there it is. That's great. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending some time joining me here for chatting at the sea and uh, staying after school and wish you best of luck in the future. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Mm-hmm.